Morning, everyone. Uh, if you have a Bible with you, could I invite you to turn to uh, 1 John chapter 2. It's page 1225 uh, in the Bibles in the pews. And as you look that up, let me ask you a question. Uh, how do you know that you know Jesus? Okay. I want you to kind of form an answer in your own uh, mind this morning on that one. How do you know that you know Jesus? Two weeks ago, uh, as we continue reading this relatively short letter as part of our Walk This Way series, I made the point that how we actually live as Christians really does matter. It speaks volumes. Christianity is not just a belief system. It's a lifestyle, and so the thoughts that we entertain, the attitudes that we hold, the words we speak, the actions that we perform 24-7, they all count. They all communicate something about us, and they all reveal where we're at in relation to God. And at the end of chapter 1, beginning of chapter 2, you may remember that John got pretty up close and personal. And he started to challenge people, he started to challenge his readers about the tension that can sometimes exist between what you claim to believe and then how you actually live. And what John spoke into was this whole idea, there's got to be consistency. There can be no glaring or there should be no glaring contradictions. Otherwise, you risk hypocrisy. Or you lack authenticity. A number of years ago, uh, Toby McCain, Michael Tate, and Kevin Max, otherwise known as DC Talk, sang these rather provocative lyrics. The single greatest cause of atheism in the world today is Christians who acknowledge Jesus with their lips, then walk out the door and deny him by their lifestyle always found those incredibly challenging thoughts you see saying that you know Jesus claiming to be a Christian is one thing it's the living of it out that is the issue that's the real challenge and what I really appreciate but also find incredibly uh, challenging about this letter is that John provides us with a number of real heart-searching tests which enable us to discover whether our claims, or anybody else's for that matter, actually stack up. And so although the content of John's short letter is at times, and I've tried to make this point, it is at times theologically and doctrinally mind-stretching, there's also lots about this short letter that is really practical really earthy and two Sundays ago the test that we were confronted with dealt with our attitude towards sin and John's overriding message was this listen don't say you're a Christian and yet remain blase about sin don't claim to have fellowship with God don't claim to know God and then walk in darkness because if you make those kind of claims and then you live a life that's blase about sin, the truth is not in you. And you don't live it out. Very practical material. What John really was saying is, listen, sin does matter. To Christians, sin has got to matter. Yes, you've been forgiven. 
But stand still, stand still in Tasis. It still tempts. You still have got to take it seriously. And therefore, a genuine Christ follower and God worshiper does not live a double life, but instead recognizes, and hopefully this came out quite strongly a couple of Sunday mornings ago and then last Sunday night as we reflected on Psalm 32, they recognize the value and necessity of honest-to-God confession. That that's got to be a regular discipline in our lives as Christians. Confessing the sin that still exists in our lives. That was the first test. This morning, we're going to look at uh, two more tests, the M&S tests. Sorry, John Nixon, wherever you are. Uh, And we find these in uh, chapter 2 from verses 3 to 11. Uh, Now, what we are about to read, the material we're going to look at is actually very simple. I know I am simple. But this material is incredibly, it's really straightforward that we're going to look at. There's not a lot of hidden meaning in this text. It's very direct. It's black and white. It's understandable. It doesn't require detailed interpretation or any sort of kind of mental gymnastics to get your head around what John is saying. It's just he shoots from the hip. And the main problem with it is this, but it's really uncomfortable. It's really unsettling. Really disturbing. Because whenever you read these words and you reflect on their implications, it really does feel like, at least it has felt like this to me this week, that your life is coming under intense scrutiny. But then again, that is one of the key purposes, is it not, of God's word. For the word of God is alive and powerful. It's sharper than a surgeon's scalpel, cutting between soul and spirit, between joint and marrow. It exposes our innermost thoughts and desires. You see, God's word is meant to rip you apart. It's meant to perform open heart surgery in your life. And this text, 1 John chapter 2, 3 to 11, will certainly do that. And as I say, I have felt its incision this week. So what are the M&S tests? Well, let's stand and read from verses 3 to verse 11. Here is the word of the Lord. We know that we have come to know Jesus if we keep his commands. Those who say, I know Jesus, but do not do what he commands are liars. And the truth is not in them. I did say John shot from the hip. But if anyone obeys the word, love for God is truly made complete in them. This is how we know we are in Jesus. Whoever claims to live in him must live as Jesus did, or must walk as Jesus walked. Dear friends, I'm not writing you a new command, but an old one which you've had since the beginning. This old command is the message you have heard, for I am, yet I am writing you a new command. Its truth is seen in him and in you, because the darkness is passing and the true light is already shining. Those who claim to be in the light but hate a fellow believer are still in the darkness. Those who love their fellow believers live in the light, and there is nothing in them to make them stumble. But those who hate a fellow believer are in the darkness. And they walk around in the darkness. They do not know where they are going because the darkness 
has blinded them. Please take a seat. Do you know, there are times whenever you just almost feel that you just need to read God's word and then just close a service and, and just let God's word do what God's word says it will do and that is like kind of expose our innermost thoughts and desires. But what are the two tests? Well, it's the moral test or the test of obedience or in biblical terms the test of righteousness and it is the social test and specifically it's the test of love. So test number one, and let me go back to the question at the start. How do you know that you know Jesus? And I realize that in a, in a church like this, there are lots of people, self-included, who claim to know Jesus personally. So how do you know that you know? Well, according to verse 3, we know that we have come to know him if we keep his commands in other words those who truly know Jesus will increasingly live an obedient righteous life not a sinless life because remember two weeks ago John makes it clear that if we claim to be without sin we deceive ourselves so this is not talking about being perfect it's not talking about never messing up never getting it wrong but it does seem that those who genuinely know Jesus are characterized by obedience to Jesus. They are the ones who keep and observe and live by his commands. Calvin, not someone I quote very often, he put it brilliantly whenever he wrote that the type of people John was referring to here are those who strive according to the capacity of human infirmity, to form their life in obedience to God. It's deeply challenging. The people that John's writing about here are those who form their life, entire life, every aspect of their life, they form it in obedience to God. Where do we go to or turn to to form our lives? Where do I go? Before I make a decision, before I launch into an opinion, before I pass a comment, before I head in a certain direction, do I turn to the word of God? Do I turn to the values of God? Do I turn to the commands of God? Do I turn to the teaching of Jesus and use those as my guide and my reference point? Do I? Or do I allow the culture to shape me? Do I allow the views of others to influence me? Do I allow the selfish desires within me to dictate? That's the question. Those who know Jesus, who actually know him, not just claim to know him, they strive, it would seem, to form lives of obedience to him. And so obedience is proof, it's tangible evidence that you know Jesus. Well, why is that? Well, one of the reasons is because obedience to Jesus is unnatural. Really unnatural. Our natural bent is to do the complete opposite of what God wants us to do and what Jesus has taught us to do. Our natural bent is to hold a grudge. To refuse to forgive someone who hurts us, who sins against us. That's the natural thing to do. Don't forgive them. Retain the bitterness. Nurse it. The natural thing to do is to lose your patience. 
It's to take advantage. It's to look after number one. It's to entertain the illicit fantasies. It's to lay up your treasure where on earth. That's the natural thing to do. Of course it is. It's to worry yourself sick about tomorrow. It's natural. It's to walk past like the two guys in Alison's story. Those are the natural things to do. They're generally what everyone else is doing and has done. But if you know Jesus, if you really know Jesus, then you will consider and increasingly opt for the alternatives. You will forgive. You will wait. You will serve. You will turn over. You will log off. You will tune out. You will not accumulate. You will trust. You will speak truth. You will care. We know that we have come to know him if we keep his commands. It's really simple. And yet flipping difficult. And as a slight aside, although very much connected, I realize that for some people there's a problem in this sentence. And it's the word command. It grates. Makes people nervous whenever you talk about being commanded to do anything. People are suspicious of a word like this. It causes a negative reaction. People don't like the idea of being commanded to do anything. And yet, those who know Jesus know that his commands are never negative. Never. And though we don't always understand them, Although we don't necessarily like what he teaches regarding the way we should form our lives and live our lives and get the best out of our lives, Jesus' ways, his commands, his values make sense. They renew, they refresh, they liberate, they enhance life. Sadly, many people today ignore them, disregard them, blatantly disobey them, even those it would seem who claim to be Christians. We know that we have come to know Jesus, says John, if we keep his commands. Test one, the moral test. Then look at verses four and five, because John then introduces us to two types of people. Those who, if you like, pass and fail. And to start with, John identifies those who claim to know Jesus and yet don't do what he commands. And as usual, John doesn't pull any punches as he speaks into life. There's no ambiguity. The language is stark. It's almost shocking. He writes, listen, see those who say they know Jesus? Those who say they know Jesus and do not do what he commands are what? And this is straw. They're liars. They're imposters. In other words, profession without obedience is a sham. Words without actions lack integrity. Belief without practice fools no one, especially God. And God knowledge without godly conduct is a nonsense. Strong. And then John turns his attention to the second type of person. It's the one who obeys. And therefore, according to John, because they obey, what do they do? And this is a wee bit hard to get our heads around, at least it is for me. Whenever we obey, they reveal the reality of their love for God. God's love is made complete in them, is what John writes. And for, these, and for John, these two things, you see, go together. Love and obedience. And that's because the words of Jesus that he referred to in his gospel were probably still ringing in his ears. Because here's what Jesus said on one occasion. And John remembered this, and so John wrote it down. Sorry, not that one. If you love me, 
said Jesus, you will obey my commands. That's just the way it kind of works. That's the way it goes. So those who obey, God's love is made complete in them. They are the ones who really love me, are the ones who do what I say. For John, that's the litmus test of anybody's claim to know and love Jesus. That they walk the talk. And so he finishes this little short section here with those words that kind of have inspired the title for the series, Walk This Way. It's where John says, listen, whoever claims to live in him must walk as Jesus did. And therefore, I'll be honest with you folks, as I've kind of reflected a little bit more on this during the week, I find myself having to face up to this, this reality. Is my day-to-day walk? In other words, the way I conduct my daily life from today through to next Sunday whenever I stand up in front of you again. Is it an increasing reflection of Jesus? Because if I genuinely know him, then it would seem that it should be. Is the life, the values, the teaching, the example of Jesus becoming more apparent in my life as a husband, as a dad, as a friend, as a colleague, as a pastor? Is it? Each of us sitting in this building this morning who claim to know Jesus are called to emulate him in our conduct. And that is the key aspect of the first test, the moral test. How do we know we know Jesus? We strive to form our lives in obedience to him. And we increasingly imitate him in our daily walk. John then moves on. This is quite heavy this morning again, I do apologize. John then moves on to the second test, the social test, the test of love Francis Schiffer uh, described love as the mark of the Christian. Here is the distinguishing characteristic. Here is the identifiable feature in the person's life that indicates they do know Jesus. And again, the Apostle John was deeply influenced by his time spent with Jesus. And so on one occasion, back to his gospel, he remembers Jesus saying, listen, see that by this everyone will know you're my disciples. Here's how people will know that you know me, that you follow me. It's because of your love for one another. And so in his short letter now, John returns to this issue as one of the key tests of genuine Christian faith. And in verses 3 to 6, yes, he's been talking about obeying Jesus' commands. But someone could argue, okay, but hang on a minute, David. John wasn't specific about which commands. He was a bit vague there. He just said you've got to obey Jesus' commands. Which ones will? In verses 7 and 11, John homes in on one very specific and absolutely crucial command. And that is the command to love. If there is any doubt as to exactly what, jo- what commands John was referring to in verse 3, here's the critical one. Gotta love. Those who walk as Jesus walked are characterized by love. In the gospel, the commandments of Christ boil down to the commandment to love. And just to stress how fundamental this is to authentic Christianity, John makes it clear, have a look at the text there, John makes it clear that there's nothing new about what he's saying. Nothing new about what he's sharing. In fact, he says this is an old command. It's been in place 
right from the beginning. It's part of the fabric of the faith. You have got to love. And John would have been well aware of the story about the teacher of the law who came to Jesus and said, okay, Jesus, of all the commands, which is the most important? Do you know, of all those commands that we read in God's word, which is the most important one, Jesus? And Jesus, in response, identifies to, and he says this, love God with all you've got. Love him with your entire heart, soul, strength, and mind. And the second is this, and he refers back to Leviticus 19, love your neighbor as yourself. But then what Jesus said next is interesting. There is no commandment singular greater than these. Points this. They go together. You can't have or keep one without the other. You cannot claim to love God and not love other people. It doesn't work like that. Love is the issue. Vertical, horizontal. God and others. And that's the way it always has been. And Jesus stressed that to the teacher of the law. John knew that. And so in verse 7 he says, Listen, I'm not writing you a new command. This is an old one. But then look at verse 8, verse 8 because this kind of keeps everybody on their toes and grabs their attention. Because he starts by saying, Yet I'm writing you a new command. That's rather confusing, John. You've just said, It's like, this, you know, it's, I'm not writing you a new one but an old one and now you're saying yet I'm writing you a new one so what's that about well the command is clearly still to love that can't be changed that won't ever change but something is new there's some new dimension that John has glimpsed there's some new insight that he's gained that he wants to share and if you look at the next part of verse 8 you discover the answer I am writing you a new command its truth is seen in Jesus. And that kind of takes us back to verse 6, that whoever claims to live in him must walk as Jesus did. You see, John had seen Jesus walk. He had observed the supreme example of love. And he realized that Jesus, this is the best way I can put this, Jesus rewrote the script when it came to loving others. He provided the ultimate role model. This new command to love that John is talking about is seen, was seen in Jesus. He fleshed it out. And so what can we say about the truth of what John saw in Jesus? Well, we could say so much. Let me suggest a couple of examples of how Jesus rewrote the script, of how Jesus renewed the command to love. First of all, Jesus demonstrated and gave love a new quality. A selfless, sacrificial quality that was supremely expressed at the cross. A quality of love that we reflect on and are reminded of here every single week as we gather around that table, which we'll do tonight. As Jesus surrendered to the Father's will, as he was tortured to within an inch of his life, and as he hung on a cross, he redefined love to a completely new level gave it a new quality and here's the scary part those who claim to live in Jesus are to walk as Christ walked in other words is my love for you selfless 
and sacrificial? Is it willing to go to extreme lengths? Because that's what the love of Jesus did for us. And we are called. Those who know him must walk as he walked. And secondly, Jesus modeled and taught a new extent to love. And Alison has already shared this story, and we haven't talked about this, but it's just brilliant that it worked like this. But you know, whenever Jesus was approached by an expert in the law, an expert who asked the question, he said, Jesus, you know, I'd really love to inherit eternal life. So what do I do to inherit eternal life? And Jesus just referred him to the commandment. Love God with your entire being. Love your neighbor as yourself. The first part the guy got. I get the love God bit with my entire being. I almost like that bit. I'm struggling with the second half. Love my neighbor as myself. So who is my neighbor Jesus? Jesus then goes on to tell the story that Alison told us this morning. And one of the key points that comes out of that classic is that we are called to love anyone who needs our compassion and help, irrespective of race, religion, colour, creed, background, etc., etc. There can be no limits to your love. Jesus modelled and taught a new extent to love. A love, for example, that actually forgave those who beat the life out of them. Father, forgive them. And yet, I, as someone who claims to live in Jesus, must walk as Jesus walked, and I'm holding a grudge. Doesn't work. Because look at verse 8, and how it continues. I'm writing you a command, new command. Its truth is seen in him, and then get this, its truth is seen in you, The quality and extent of the love of Jesus is to be seen in me. That is some test. I'm nearly done. But John moves us on because he comes, becomes quite direct. And he says, see if someone claims to be a Christian, if someone claims to be in the light, which is, which is the way, as we discovered the first week we looked at this, this book, we discovered this is how John talks about someone who's a Christian, someone who claims to walk in the light. And John says, if someone claims to be in the light, and yet, and yet they cannot stand another believer, <laughs> then they still exist in darkness. And John uses a, the word hate here. And it's a strong word, but as I've been thinking about this, I've been trying to not allow that to cloud my thinking too much. Because I might think, you know, I would never go that far. I would never hate another believer. But you see, if I walk out of here and I rubbish, or I backstab, or I gossip about, or I character assassinate another child of God, what does that honestly say and communicate about my claims to know God? How does that 
reflect walking as Jesus walked. And so I do find God's word so, as Hebrews 4.12, so cutting and challenging about the way I have spoke this week about other Christians. Christians who think differently to me. Christians who hold certain things more important than I do. Christians who like things that I don't particularly like. How have I spoke about them? And the bottom line is, it's not that we're always to agree. It's not that we're always to see eye to eye. It's not that we're always going to be the best of friends. But if I say that I know Jesus, then I've got to love and value and affirm my fellow believers. And John writes in verse 10, those who love their fellow believers, they're the ones who live in the light. And there is nothing in them that's going to cause them to stumble. Love is the test. So back to our opening question. How do you know that you know Jesus? Well, it seems according to John, you know via the MNS test. The moral, social tests. You obey his commands and that is your increasing heart's desire. You walk as Jesus did. Your attitudes, actions and your love imitates Christ. And you love each other. And so back to DC talk. Because it is my prayer that as we walk out of those doors this morning. We will affirm that we know Jesus by the way we live. By our lip and by our life. Let's pray together. Father, we recognize that uh, your word at times is almost too straightforward. And that catches us off guard at times. And I know it has caught me, in a sense, off guard this week. And I confess that to you, admit that before you and before this group of people. And God, I do claim to know Jesus. And therefore, I hear the challenge to keep his commands to walk as he walked to love as he loved to forgive as he forgave to care as he cared to show compassion as he showed compassion to love my fellow believers And so, God, as we sit before you this morning as a group of your people, we invite you to continue to perform that open-heart surgery that is so important and so necessary in our lives and in our discipleship process. And we ask that you would uh, take us from here. That was to go and live lives of integrity, live lives of authenticity, live lives that actually point others to the truth of your gospel. May we go from here and love our Father, God, with everything we've got. And love our neighbours as ourselves. And therefore walk as Jesus walked. And we ask for your help in this. In Jesus' name. Amen.